blessings to each one of you. And I was looking at our Sunday school lesson. Why is it courage to stand, courage to be faithful, and courage to obey? I believe it's because we have a deceiver that would like to deceive us and would like to take us down and not allow us to have the courage, the strength to do what God wants us to do. I was with a group of men and we were discussing things and we were discussing how someone could believe the way he does because it was completely void of Scripture. And somebody in that group said, the power of deception. That's the title of my sermon today. That's been simmering ever since on the back burner. The power of deception. It's a very real thing. And in the lives of Christians, we look around us and we see people that no longer believe what they used to. And it's not scriptural. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians for the beginning here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read 11, verse 11 through 18. Just, I guess, to lay a foundation here for the sermon. It says, For other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, Christ or Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon the foundations gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become fool, a fool that he may be wise. I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> First of all, we are reminded that there is no other foundation than that which was laid by Jesus Christ. He began the church. He began that foundation that We cannot, um, uh, what's the right word? We can't make it better. We cannot make it better. It is, it is a foundation that was built by Christ Himself and was established. It says here that our works will be tried by fire. And if we... If it withstands the fire, we will be rewarded for that. If it doesn't stand, um, it will be burned. And it, it took me sort of a little bit to think about. I had to look up some things here because he says, yet the man will be saved. And it's like, if my works aren't right or my foundation is not right, Uh, It says work. And I came to find that 
you know, we can be mistakenly uh, building our own work. And I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to give the idea that we can build our, on our own work and it still be okay. We need to have the work of God. However, maybe by misconception or um, not being vigilant enough, we honestly think we're doing the right thing but we're not. And in the end, it's not going to work. If I build a house, and I work hard to build that house, a fire might destroy that. My work is destroyed. The things that I believe, I think is what he's saying here, uh, I could be wrong, and it might not stand. However, as a Christian, I will be saved in the end. Um, we cannot take that out of context to where we think whatever we do, we will still be saved. That's not what I'm saying. So I hope you understand that I was trying to clarify a little bit what that might be. But the big thing that I want to see here, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire, and then if we drop uh, down, he talks about we are the temple of God. It is a holy temple. Uh, when we think about the temple that was built in the Old Testament, it was a sacred temple. God kept that very sacred and depending on what was done, if it was held in contempt uh, or we didn't, they didn't keep it sacred. It was sure death. Now he says, if any man defile the temple of God here, you and I, where God dwells in, him will God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And then he goes on to say, let no man deceive himself. I found that interesting. There's, there's quite a few verses in Scripture, and Jesus said a lot of them, let no man deceive you. He often came across with that phrase, let no man deceive you. But here he says, uh, let no man deceive himself. That's a key. It seems uh, that person that seems to be wise in the world, his own wisdom... Uh, worldly wisdom is foolishness with God. Uh, and so as we think about, I can deceive myself. That's very possible. And that's why we need to have the courage, the obedience. And we want to look at that a bit more. I want to look at some characters of Scripture not to point our finger at them and say, wow, what a rotten job they did, or how could they ever think the way they did? No. I want us to point the finger at ourselves and ask the question, how am I doing? And am I allowing some carelessness and wrong doctrine in my own life, my own way, that will take me away from the perfect will of God and the perfect everlasting Word that He gave us. The first character that I'm going to look at, and you can turn to 1 Samuel 10, is Saul. And basically, I'm going to be looking at Saul's life. Not to point at him. Let's not get focused too much on Saul, but keep coming back. Could this happen to me? And yes, it could, if we're not careful. I want to read here two verses. Uh, chapter 10, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 7 and 8.
Uh, here Samuel had taken a vow and he had anointed Saul to be king. And then he says in verse 7, And let it be when these signs are coming to thee, he had told him there would be a number of signs there if you want to read it in the first part of the chapter sometime. There would be signs and they were. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. Samuel gave him uh, some instructions here. And some people think that this is connected with chapter 15, which we are going to hear in just a little bit, uh, has reference to chapter 15 when he didn't wait on Samuel. Um, and I'm not sure that I think so. Um, the next several chapters are not in chronological uh, order if that's the case. If you would attach chapter 15 under verse 8, then it would probably make sense. Now, I'm open to your uh, correction in my thinking. If I need to be corrected, I would be happy for you to straighten me out there. <clears throat> I would like to continue on to chapter 15 then. That was the beginning of Saul. He had been anointed to be king, and Samuel was guiding him. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he lay in wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God gave him specific instructions here. Um, if we... Think about these three verses. Um, I'm trying to... Well, if you go back to uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, remember, it says here, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou faintest and when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. He promised back there, one day he will bring it to pass that Amalek was going to be wiped off the slate. And he said, Thou shalt not forget it. And so here in verse verses 1 through 3, uh, he gives him specific instructions. And I want us to see that God gave Saul, yeah, specific instructions. Um, God always had a heart for children, orphans, those that were crippled, or for uh, older, feeble people. God had no tolerance to misuse orphans, especially orphans in the Bible. It was just such a tremendous uh, abomination to him. 
when people were misused, those that could not defend their own life. So he gives to Saul, he tells him what to do, how to do it, and the reason why he precisely wanted it done. And I found that interesting, I underlined that in my notes. When God gives us a commandment to do, He is not obligated to tell us why we need to do it. But we do have the obligation to do that commandment with no questions asked. Now, Saul had no reason to ask. He was plainly told what to do, how to do it, and why to do it. So, Saul gathered his army together, and he set out to do what God told him to do. He was apparently going to fulfill the commandments that God had said. He went... Uh, We read here in verse 4 that God uh, Saul gathered the people together and he numbered them 200,000 footmen, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid in wait in the valley. I'm not going to read all this, but um, Samuel came to Saul In verse 13, here it says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Was that true? Let's see what God said. Verse 10, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. No, the answer is he did not. He brought back Agai, and he brought back sheep, oxen, God had said, utterly destroy this. That was His commandment. We have commandments of God. He sets them up. And we must follow them. Uh, Saul said, and we say, how can he be confused? I performed those commandments. When he didn't. My point is not to see how bad Saul was. My point is to look at this incident and take warnings. Because it can happen to us. It can happen. Uh, When we disobey God's word. When we clearly know what we should do and really don't have intentions to change it, it forms a clear path to further sin and further deception, as we will see in the life of Saul and maybe a couple others. We can't sin and believe that we are right with God. We can't Take His commandments and not follow them and think we're right with God. First of all, I think that will destroy our ability to go deeper with God. And I think as I was thinking about that, we will really go no deeper with God than we're willing to obey Him. When we obey, He will give us more to do. When we don't obey, He won't give us any more. And it also talks about in Scripture that God will not hear the prayers of those that harbor iniquity in their heart. 
He won't hear them. So your prayers when you have sin or iniquity or not willing to follow the commandments of God, He won't hear you. Isaiah 59.2, and there's many verses in Scripture, you can look them up. But your iniquities have separated between you and God, you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Now, I also want to give you a verse that I found uh, very, they brought tears to my eyes. The heart of God for those that don't hear Him. Jeremiah 13, 17. But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. He's talking about the children of Israel. Mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away into captivity or captive. It's just amazing when I think of God's love for us. He wants so badly for us to just keep His commandments. Just follow Him. Just do the things that He said. Because there is a purpose in that. There is a, 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 a vision that He has for us to be fruitful. To be prosperous. And He wants that so badly for us. And when we turn our hearts the other way, His tears begin to flow for our pride. Because it is pride. When we don't follow God, we become to where we think we can do better than He can. We can maybe make our own decisions. And we can't. I come back to verse 17 here in 1 Samuel 15. Um... This was after Samuel told Saul. Well, he come back and he said, what is all the bleeding of the sheep and all this? And Saul began to make excuses. We'll look at some of those. And then the word of the Lord, um, no. And then, I'm trying to find it. Verse 17 and Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord said to me this night. And he said unto him, Saul, he said, Stay on. When we look at verse 17 then, when Samuel came back to him, apparently he slept over it, thought about it, sought the Lord, and Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou made, not made the head of the tribe of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord set thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? but didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. As we look at the following verses, uh, Saul continued to make excuses. And I find it very interesting how Saul responded to the prophet of God versus David responding to the prophet of God. And I really wanted to go to David, but I don't think we have time for that. But um, there was such a big difference. Saul began to make excuses. He said, well, the people did this. And uh, he had all kinds of excuses that he didn't obey God. And yet he 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 was such a prideful person, somehow he believed that he had done the right thing. How? We don't know. 
Um, While thou was little in thine own sight. In other words, he was humble. He was humble before God. You know, they found him among the stuff he was hiding. Um, Then God could use him. God can use us when we're in a place of humility. Wanting to do what he, he did. But apparently, something changed and he became big. In his own sight. Or proud we might say. And apparently he began to think. That he knew better than God. And then when he was confronted with it. um, He kept making excuses. Verse 13. Verse uh, 15. Verse 20. He is still making excuses why he didn't obey the commandments of God. Continually down through there, even though Saul, uh, Samuel was pointing out to him that he didn't do what God told him to do. When we think of pride, pride can be so deceptive in our lives. Uh, keep your place and turn to Acts 5. Keep your place here in Samuel because it could come back to that. But I was just thinking about pride. Um, God just cannot use people that are pride and their have pride in their own lives. Uh, and so we might not keep the commandments of God, and we we. It is because of pride. And no, no, we would say, no, we don't have pride, but by our actions and, and disobedience, it says it, God knows our heart. Here in uh, Acts chapter, I'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> I got too many markers that didn't amount to anything today. Wow. I'm getting there. Acts chapter 5, but, certain, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought certain part and laid it down at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back a part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? In thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon, came on all them that heard these things. Now as we look back at the end of chapter 4, um, it says they had all things in, all the believers had all things in common. And nobody had took thought of what he possessed, but was willing to give them and lay them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to everyone according to their needs. And so nobody was really in need of anything. And they apparently had seen this and wanted to do something, but maybe they had a love for money or something that they wanted to keep back this part of it. And yet they wanted to make it appear as though they are doing just like all the rest, bringing all their money to the treasury here. 
and laying it down at the apostles' feet. Only pride could do that. Want to look like the people? Now as they walked in to give their portion of money to the apostles, they looked no different than anybody else. But Peter somehow uh, knew that they had not given the whole thing. Divine intervention there. And they kept back, back part of it. And he says, it was yours. You could do with it what you want. But it, apparently they wanted to make a scene, wanted to make a name for themselves, wanted to be in with the others. Uh, pride is so deceptive. Pride can blind us to the point that we are willing to live a lie. When we want to look good to the others around us, we want to be the best. We want to be the end. Apparently something like this was working on Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they were noting the outstanding people that were giving to uh, the church there. <clears throat> This kind of pride, as we know, uh, Sapphira's wife came in later and she agreed that, yeah, they had given that amount or gotten that amount for the, what they had given. And she also died and it brought physical death to them for the pride that they had. And I believe today pride, of course, will bring uh, spiritual death to us today, if we allow pride to swell up in our heart and become uh, a part of us and do things that are contrary to the will of God. If we go back to 1 Samuel 15 and verse 19, it says, Samuel asked him, Wherefore? Then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agai, the king of Amalek, uh, Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So as I said before, then verse 21, he says, the people took the spoil. Um, and Samuel said to him, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a, as the sin of witch, witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity and idolatry. Um, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. At this point, then Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. I have not. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people. Here we finally have the real answer as to why he didn't obey God. He says, he feared the people and obeyed their voice. And I ask the question to us today, who do we fear? Do we fear man or do we fear God? Are we listening to the voice of the people or are we listening to God? Saul here sacrificed his relationship with God to gain favor of people. And in the end, he lost favor with God and the people. He lost everything. 
Anytime we open ourselves up to the voice of anything, anyone or anything that conspires or disagrees with God's written word, we are opening ourselves to the voice of deception. And when we think about uh, Saul here, that was real deception. Real deception. I want you to see one more thing of Saul's life and warn us against it. Uh, it is in chapter 28 of First Samuel. And I want to read here verses 3 through 6, in the beginning at least. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him, lamented him, and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Galboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dream, neither by Urim, nor by prophet. I want to stop there for a minute. Saul here was very, very desperate for an answer. And somehow, did he not realize that the Lord had left him? Samuel had told him a long time ago that the kingdom was taken from him. He was not in favor with God anymore. And I don't know if the truth hadn't dropped on him, but he was very, very desperate. And I believe he was at the point where he didn't realize how deceived he was. He was desperate because of his own sin. God's Spirit had left him and gave him no answer by prophets or dreams as they often had, and Samuel was gone. And so, in verse um, well, back where he it says, I can't find that it's twenty eight. Yeah, and at verse 3 talks about he had, he had taken care of all the familiar spirits, the wizards out of the land. At some point, he realized that God had no... Uh, they were wrong. And there was, they were to have nothing to do with, with evil spirits or with witches, we might call it. But he was desperate. And he says in verse... Uh, six. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dream. Then, verse seven. Then Saul said unto said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit and endor. We could go through that story. But I guess what I want to warn us about is when we are desperate and we all have places in life where we maybe really want answers from God and we get desperate in those wanting those answers and we wonder why God is taking us through such difficult times and we don't know the answer. And so, um, how should we respond as certainly not by getting a witch or some 
familiar spirit to tell us. But I think as we encounter those situations, we need to be careful. I think our first response should be, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to show me? Maybe God will show you something. Or maybe He will simply minister to you uh, that His grace is sufficient for that. And we simply rest our spirit in Him and leave it up to Him. I believe that's the believer's way that we should look at it and come to God. I think in desperate situations or in places where we are going through very difficult times, um, Satan can come to us as an angel of light. And it might look very well. It might look just right. But it's not right. So be careful in those times when... God takes us through difficult times. He's maybe trying to teach us something and maybe we will never really know why we went through those difficult times. But our response should be to seek God. Uh, let Him minister us through His grace, through His sufficiency. Uh, rest in Him. Samuel took a different approach and he went to the witch and he asked her, to bring up Samuel. And it appears as though that happened and Samuel spoke to him. Um, the power of deception. And I just want to look over our lesson. Um, how did he come to this place? And I think we can all look at it. Saul had a good start. He was humble in the beginning. And somehow, he let the people bring fear to him and not God. And he went and sinned before God. And then, he was not willing as David did when the prophet came to David and said, you have sinned, you're the man. What did David do? He fasted all night. He prayed to God. It was so different. And I believe God knows the difference, or knew the difference between how David would respond to him and how Saul would respond. A vast difference in those two. Saul here was so deceived by his sin. And if we read in the chapters between that, his life never really had any meaning after that. He was constantly after David, trying to kill David, trying to do uh, what Saul wanted to do, what Saul wanted to build for himself. And here he came to the desperate place of deception and actually reached out to we would say a witch to get an answer on what's going to happen. He didn't need to know what happened. And so, as we look at his life and we think about the progress down into deception, um, we don't need to go there. We don't have to follow that pattern. We don't have to follow the pattern of Ananias and Sapphira. We need to brace up and take warnings from that. I want to turn to one more scripture. Uh, Ephesians 4.
Ephesians 4 and look at verses 1 uh, here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto everyone is given, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captives captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that hath, that ascendeth far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the ministry, uh, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come in unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, that we henceforth no more, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind and doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive us to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I want to stop there just encourage us to think about this scripture that we no more be tossed to and fro. We come together in unity and faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And we don't need to be deceived. We don't need to come to deception. But lean on God and know that through His Word we will have uh, Him to follow and we'll be able to follow Him. Uh, the way that he wants us to. I have a song here. Uh, actually, every Sunday morning, J. Elvin Hurst sends me two songs most times. And I just thought this one fitted real well. And I'm going to take the liberty to just let you listen to it. <clears throat>
think when we hold to his hand, put our hand into his, we don't need to worry about being deceived. We can trust him. We can look to his word. If there's a question, let's search the word and find the answers to it. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, that we can trust you, that we can follow you, that we can know that you are with us, that your spirit bears witness with our spirit, and we can know that we are right with you. We pray that you would just continue to direct our lives, give us wisdom, give us guidance, help us to be strong in you, and that we could overcome the evil that lures around us. Father, we pray that you would keep each one here in your hand, in your power, in your grace, that they could fulfill everything that you have for us in our lives, that we could fulfill the work that you have for us to do. Continue with us now as we go from here and watch over us, keep us safe, and thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.